Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Here we are. Is the fact that it says stop up there a problem? Well, the fact that we're crooked is actually a bigger problem. Is it me that's crooked? Or? You're just, you just got taller than me. I know, I like that. I don't know how that happened. Good job. I think it's the chiropractor. It's either that or the fact that the camera is literally diagonal. I actually do have an interestingly long torso. Yeah? Yeah, and in actual fact, my brother's six foot three, and he's, when we sit down, we're the same height, and then he stands up and his legs are just, I have short legs. I have, yeah. swim, I have swimmers build. Apart from the workout and the, you know, the... The uh, being able to swim fast. Generally, swimmers, again, I don't know why we're starting here. Swimmers have long torsos and short legs. So Michael Phelps has the torso of a six foot ten man. And he's only six foot five. Something about having a long torso and short, powerful legs. Yeah. That's what I have. So now... Well, there, there's I'm a new... Legs. Did you know there's a new swimming theory that you do very little with your legs? What's that, like, that new... Huh? One of the Olympic female swimmers, she like barely even what? exerts any energy from the legs. It's like all upper body. I think I used to do that when I was a swimmer. I was I was I had just super fast arms. Like my arm speed was like I remember getting in a race with another lifeguard, and they're like, "I just can't keep up with your arm speed." I was like, "Wow." Yeah. I didn't know it was good, but it is. Well, we have audio, and you've got some waffle at the start of the show just to check the audio. Yeah, and I'm gonna go. Um, make our once straight camera straight again. Yeah. It feels so tall. This is amazing. I don't know what's going on. You're just so tall. Like it's, I mean, you're so tall that your head's getting cut off, which means either you're tall or the camera's well, wrong. Well, the, fact, <laughs> the, fact, the fact that the shelves in the background are at an angle, unless you have angle shelves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not right. No, it's not no. right. All right. So... Alex, uh, talk. it was actually fun to watch you on Sunday sing with Mike. Yeah, and you were short and smaller. There was just, uh, yeah, I was like, I've never seen Aaron look small on stage, but you did. All right. Um, okay, you, so don't get seized. Do you, do you, am I supposed to be telling you? Uh, it's kind of zoomed in now. Oh, that means. Yeah, I'm like, I can oh, just. I touch the screen. You touch the screen. You touch the button. Is it better? Um. It's not better angled wise, and your fingers across the thing. Oh, it's worse. You're going the wrong way. But it, it's zoomed in now. Oh, it's it's not zoomed in anymore. Correct. Okay. And uh, it's very angled. Okay, okay, no, no. Keep going the way you were going. Keep going, keep going, keep. Okay, stop. Nah, yeah, yeah. Try that. Ooh, oh, oh. I gotta be able to tighten it down. Uh huh. That's a lot better. But my head is now cut off because it's too low. <laughs> So it needs to go up a bit. No, that's down. Okay, that, try that. No, okay. Okay, try bringing it across a bit because you're now, I'm on the very right of the screen. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Just try that. 
See what you think. Is that too far the other way now? Yes, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, so you know what's comical about this? I don't. Well, yeah. Well, I could have just turned the this towards. Yeah. Can you even reach it, Shorty? Hey, perfect. Oi, oi, come back. Good. Ish. Ish. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Um, you know what's awesome about all this effort that we're going into for our video is the fact that this show is way better to listen to than to watch anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, so, we're a podcast show. We're a podcast show. Uh, and so, has a sonorous voice. So you just listened to us talk about all the visual things that you probably don't care about anyway. you're probably not even watching. Speaking of podcasts. We're on Apple iTunes. And you can download us on Apple iTunes and give us a rating if you so wish. But if you Well, try if the rating rate is bad because we spent more time trying to make us look good on camera, mm -hmm. then please don't give us a rating. Yeah. In actual Lie fact, to if, us. if the rating is going to be bad, just don't give us a rating in general. Yeah. Um, that, that, that interesting. We don't about, want honesty on this show. My wife does Instacart shopping. So she goes and she shops for people and they can give a rating. But the, the system is pretty flawed that you can just, without really paying much attention, just give someone a one star without really knowing you did it. So that kills your rating and suddenly you don't get any shops. So suddenly like there's nothing for you to do. Um, so she just sits there fuming at these rating systems and stuff. And she actually started messaging people saying, if you're going to give me a bad rating, I'd rather you took the tip away than rate me badly. Because the tip away is annoying in the moment, but the bad rating... It's going to kill me for the next three months. Mm. Um, so so uh, don't rate us badly. So here's the question. Has she rated our podcast yet? Since she cares so passionately about this. Mm. I'm guessing she hasn't. Yeah. I, I doubt, I'm guessing I doubt she, that my wife has she's either. She's a YouTube fan. She yeah? watches on YouTube. She does watch it sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. That might be she, more than my wife. She, she watched more to start with. I think I'm starting to bore her now. She's like, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. She has to I, listen to me a my, lot. It's just, exactly. Just, just that's, a, I think that's how my wife felt. She's like, I was like, hey, did you check out our show? What do you think? Is it helpful or anything? She's like, yeah, it's just you talking more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she, she has to live with me. It's just as terrible as you might imagine. I heard this amazing story from another pastor when I was in Detroit uh, as, at a church. And uh, he was talking about going through this time where he and his wife were, they just, you know, there's a lot going on and um, they went out for a, a meal and, and he said to her, she said to him, could you rate our marriage? And he was like, yeah, I think we're doing pretty good. Like I'd say eight and a half. And, uh, she he said, she said, no, I'm, I'm doing, do, I'd say one. Like, I think we're doing terribly. And in the middle of this argument back and forth, apparently she, uh, she, he, he looked at her and he said, you know, 95% of the women in the church would love to be married to a guy like me. Which if you're a guy out there, that's never, this is never a good strategy. And apparently she just snapped back like instantly. Yeah, well, I'm one of the 5% that don't want to be married to you. <laughs> Which was just probably deserved. Um, wow. So this show is entitled um, Tips and Tricks on What Husbands Shouldn't Do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And we're both pretty qualified, yeah. evidently. No, well, I'm I, joking. <laughs> this is going to sound like a flex or a brag, but I, I found this husband challenge on um, online the other day. And I kind of got bored after three weeks because like some of the stuff was so easy. I was like, wow, there's actually guys out there that don't do stuff like this. This seems like it was like help with a chore. I'm like, <laughs> what? This was this was a husband challenge for like yeah. 
like a an old school like Midwest. I don't know something. Yeah, absolutely. They're taking a husband challenge from the 1950s and you, put it on video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you come home, don't fall on the sofa and fall asleep. Like, okay. Yeah. If you say, woman, get me a beer, try not saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. Talk to your children. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you're, you're like, man, I'm killing it. Yeah. That was my reaction after three days. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and actually just deep sympathy for some of the women out there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is go. just, this must be tough. <laughs> um, so uh, why are we here again? <laughs> I don't know. To drink um, tea and talk about the Bible. To drink tea and talk about the well, Bible. Yeah. Um, Sunday, we kicked off a new series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we started explaining the series a little bit in the previous week. I'm going to move my chair a bit closer to my... Oh, that's good. Yes. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm a loud mouth. You need to get up on there. And I need to. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling we're out of focus too. And you know what? I'm not even going to fix it. No, because no one's watching on yeah. YouTube. Like so if you don't thing. appreciate the out of focus video then chances are you're not even listening to this little side rabbit yeah, trail yeah, just anyway. Like, come on, talk about something I care about. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to mm -hmm. stop talking about yeah. that. We're out of focus probably and deal with it. Yeah. Uh, turn us off. Um, so you already explained a little bit of the why behind the what as far mm -hmm. as this series was concerned when we were talking about Easter. Mm. But can you summarize, because I think um, it'll be helpful for us to set set the stage for this first week of the series. Yeah. Technically, sort of, second week yeah, of the kind series. Of second week. We're kind of in. So, yeah. Already. So, we, we called it Riptide, which was, I mean, I think we struggled with the name a little bit. I think we landed in a place that made sense, but... It, I love the way you explained the Riptide thing. You did? Thing. You know, didn't it? Okay. I, it's, it's one of those things you don't know. You so, know, actually, so, like, Sunday, when you were explaining, I was like, aha! Myself standing I in the finally, ocean. I'm like, I, I finally understand the title that we came up that I might yeah, have suggested. Yeah, you signed off on and maybe suggested. I might have been the one who suggested mm. it. And then when I was making the bumper video, I had the same crisis. Why did we call it I Riptide? Loved, I loved the bumper video. It made, it made me think of being on the beach. But broadly speaking, <laughs> picture yourself if you've ever stood in an ocean. You're kind of ankle deep in the water. And you can feel this incredible pull as this... I mean, what do you call an ocean? Is it an entity? Is it an organism? Whatever it is, this this thing that is beyond powerful, that is beyond bigger than you, it pulls you in. You can feel it pulling you in. And so they have these things called riptides that, that people get pulled out miles out into the ocean. I mean, it really like you can't swim against it. You can't fight against it. It is bigger and stronger than you. And it has no end to it. And so it was just to us a picture of this is the thing that Jesus has done. Um, he's, he drowns he's, you out in the large ocean spaces. He pulls you out into large open spaces, and then you find that you don't drown. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, as long as you're uh, thinking of a riptide as getting sucked out into the ocean, and that's a good is thing. a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then our series title makes total who doesn't sense. Love the ocean. <laughs> so, so it's this pull into this bigger thing. Um, yes, that, totally. That Jesus, Jesus dies, is rises again. And there is a moment where he would say everything about the world has changed. Mm. But none of his followers are aware of it at all. This week, we're going to do the road to Emmaus, this moment where two of his followers, potentially a husband and wife, are just wandering towards, uh, they're wandering towards this town of Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus is walking alongside them and they have no clue. And there's this beautiful, ironic moment where... 
uh, one of them turns to Jesus and he's like, are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? And they are walking next to Jesus and have no <laughs> clue what's going on. It's like, yeah, there's, a, there's a, an irony there that's beautiful. That is funny. Uh, and so there is this, this, this way that Jesus will drop in with multiple of his disciples and he'll, he'll just, in his, in his beautifully gentle Jesus fixing things way, We'll pull them back into the story. And that's always what's quite so, amazing about Jesus, I think. He's so you're talking about next week. Well, it's all, that's all the weeks, I think. Just I mean, saying. every single one of them, are, 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 I'm just giving microcosms of like that. They are. And Jesus does this outside of the story as well. He does it to them at other times when they're in a storm. Uh, he wakes up mm. and he's kind of like, yeah, it's actually okay. Um, you don't need to panic. You're overreacting. Totally. Uh, and these are fishermen that have lived their entire lives on this lake and are clearly freaked out. And uh, and he's like, yeah. It's not so just, bad. Just get over it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so somehow he'll pull these people all back into the story. We'll talk about the guys on the way to Emmaus this week. Last week we talked about Mary Magdalene. Who is, who's this fascinating character? Fa fascinating because of where she's come from and, and what she means to the story, how how central she is to all of the resurrection narratives and and john gives her this this sort of like moment where it's just her and john, john does that all the time interestingly i didn't really get a chance to talk about this on sunday but john if you read through john if you're someone who likes the bible one read through it and underline every time he talks about whether it's light or dark whether he's being metaphorical whether he's been practical that that's fascinating but it's also fascinating just to see uh, how he'll often take a story and make it a about Jesus and one person. The, yeah. there's, the, it, it's almost like everybody else fades out of the picture. The, the, there's, there's actually a, a beautiful parallel for those of you who like movies. Um, the movie Pride and Prejudice. Uh, there's the one with Kira Knightley and there's this moment where she's dancing with the hero, Mr. Darcy, and it's a room full of people. And as they're dancing, everyone else fades out of the background and it's just the two of them. Now they're all still there, but the intimacy of the moment is such that the 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 director chooses just to fade them out and create this moment just between the two of them. And that's almost how John operates throughout his gospel. He'll just fade everybody else out. When you read Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, there's this moment in John chapter 8, everyone else is gone and it's just the two of them. And it's very much a one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus has more one-on-one -on -one conversations, I think, in John in his gospel than all of the rest of them put together. Um, wow. So, and, and John is sort of like, or, well, tips and tricks on reading the gospels, mm. uh, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you tend to like the more spatial, philosophical, artistic mm. expression of things, John might be a great gospel yeah. for you because I, I mean, that's how I'm wired. I love like the ethereal and stuff. And John is sort of a cosmic gospel. Absolutely, yeah. He, the others start with very practical. I mean, Mark is like, Jesus started preaching. That's his opening. Yeah. Mark <laughs> is like getting down to business. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, this yeah. happened, yeah. that happened, this happened, this happened, uh -huh. that happened, this happened, this happened. Mm -hmm. And so if you're just like wanting to get to the bottom line, then that's a really helpful and Matthew, gospel. And Matthew and Luke are like, here's some family history. Know the Jewish background. 
and John's like, imagine if you could be there before the world began. In the beginning was the word. And, the word. and, you kind of jump and you're like, and you're like okay. well, okay, I'm two sentences in and what's the word? <laughs> yeah. And the beginning and there was like cosmic and who's the what the? Yeah, and I think I know where you're going with this, but I actually may need some help. John is this beautiful book that could lose you in around three lines. Yeah. Um, oh, and I, but I love it because, um, actually, I love this about the scriptures in general. And, and this is partially true, it seems to be, about the scriptures in general. They're meditative literature. And so if something, um, maybe again, another little tip for reading the Bible, if something is confusing, um, abstract, uh, and that sort of thing, it's supposed to like lead you into contemplation mm. and exploration and curiosity. Mm. Um, it's it's like an invitation. One of my favorite things to do is to like, teach or write on or preach on a text that makes no sense to me mm. initially. And you go deep dive, man. You're, you're, because you're it's, like- well, it's like, if it's the harder it is, sometimes the better the nuggets are Absolutely. inside. Uh, anytime Aaron preaches, there's this moment where I'm like, okay, we lost Aaron. Like, it's <laughs> like down a rabbit hole somewhere. Yeah. Just investigating, reading, and and usually it comes back with some potentially spurious connection to metaphysics or something. Yeah, <laughs> like that, like, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> where did we go? And then when you hear the sermon, it's all beautifully put together, but there's moments you're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I actually... <laughs> <laughs> we have a member, uh, a guy here at South that, that when I was first entering into ministry, I was like sharing a talk or something. And I just shared with him the overview. I'm kind of thinking this, I'm kind of thinking this. And he's like, he sat back and just very gently and wisely said, um, yeah, you're going to have to make it make more sense than that. though." Mm, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a very <laughs> gracious way. In other words, he's like, it sounds to me like you're having deep thoughts, but I have no, no idea. What you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> but you get those people occasionally. Like the, there was a, someone I was in a meeting with, and I was I was trying to help them understand like what I was talking about as a vision concept, uh, and and I thought I was doing a fairly good job. And and everyone everyone's in the rooms is nodding. Like I feel like I'm getting some traction. They're kind of leaning in, and then the guy that had asked the question and <laughs> said, "Does does that help?" He's like. To be honest, I'm just a little more confused now. <laughs> okay. It yeah. didn't work. Lessons you can learn from people who listen to you. I was once told, sometimes when you're preaching, it feels like I'm on a golf cart with you and you just decide to drive in a different direction all of a sudden. And if I'm not holding on, then it feels like I'm going to fall out. And I kind of said, well, there's a couple of possibilities. Like One, I just might want you to fall out. I actually might think that's fun. And two, maybe you need to hold on because we're going to make some turns. But he was probably just trying to help me communicate well with people. Yeah. And I just I, so I know so this this past week we explored uh, Mary's account and what you were bringing out and you you talked about several times in the message was um, how and this this gets into a little bit more uh, of a conversation about the scriptures in general, mm. but. Uh, which we already started to have. John is trying to communicate a specific message. And so he makes um, decisions about what to include, what not to include in order to get to a specific point. Um, 
like he decided to, all the other accounts have multiple women at this moment, and he decides to zoom in uh-huh. and hyper-focus yeah, yeah. on Mary's interaction with Jesus because he's trying to communicate something. Yes. So, um, yeah, what's up with that? How do you know when something's literal versus not literal? And how do you handle the, the, the well, scriptures so like that? I mean, I mean, the difficult part with this is that it's not really about literal. Like John, this writer, is super happy with metaphorical. You might argue that somewhere in these first three biographies, these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's language that says Jesus only teaches in parables. If you do read John, you might say Jesus only teaches in long discourses full of metaphor um, because <laughs> he does. He's like, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am. It's very much like these types of things. So, so he's very comfortable in the language of metaphor and, and non-literal. I think if you could find John and grab him and say, are you being literal here? He would say, yeah, I'm being literal. And, and we as 21st century people would say, but you left out other women. And he would say, I chose not to write about other women. Like, it doesn't take away from Mary's story. It doesn't. So it's very much, I think the struggle comes when we put 21st century or or maybe even 19th century ideas of what's accuracy on something that's really old. Yes. And Uh, there's this phrase that I love and maybe... If you're in the more like ethereal kind of mentality, this will help you. And if you're not, it might just make you more mm. angry and frustrated. Mm. But um, I love the idea of truer than true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard that phrase yeah, before? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, um, okay, it might have been literally that way. But if that if you just stop whether did it happen this way or didn't it happen this way, then you're missing the point. Uh-huh. What's more important is it's true um, because of the human condition that it unpacks, yeah. because of the uh, the nature of Jesus's heart that it explains. Mm. And therefore the transformative power of that idea is what would be truer than true. In yeah. other words, it rings true down to the bones of who we are as human beings. And John is specifically out of the gospel accounts, the one who is he's so concerned with you getting at the heart of Jesus Uh that he like strategically chooses to be a little bit more obscure about certain details in the story so that he can portray a heartbeat, an emotion or an interaction with an individual. And and again, I I don't think he would think he was being untruthful on any level. But we do have a particular sense. Even think about like the way we we have almost an obsession with chronology. Totally. So we as people today are like, if you don't tell a story in order, you're kind of lying. You kind of, and yet we make movies all the time that start with like a we start with one point and then there's a flashback or we like we jump all over the place, uh, and we don't have a problem with that. Like again, these these are authors that were doing something that was very normal for the day. It's even normal um, for us as long yeah. as it's in the movies. Yeah. But as soon as it becomes a sacred text, you're not allowed to have creativity. You're not to teach something. It's got to be just, I want the details. No creativity, because uh-huh. the most important thing is that it it's exactly yeah, how yeah. it happened. And then you're like, but why? Uh-huh. Because then I know it happened. Yeah. But then what's the transformative power of that? Well, who cares about transformation? <laughs> as long as it happened that, this yeah. way. Yes. And you're like, John's like, okay, if you're not being transformed into the image of Jesus, then 
who cares if it literally so, happened? So, and that that's intriguing to me. Again, it's our forensic mindset that that kind of it looks at a text like this and has the potential to say, if Mary wasn't alone, that makes the resurrection less likely to be true, because John said that Mary was alone, and if she's not maybe he wasn't telling the truth about other stuff. Maybe the whole thing's... There's a, there's a, a, a pattern of thinking there that ends up with, eh, if you lied about Mary, you lied about the resurrection. Which is, is intriguing to me because for the most part, we do stuff like this with storytelling all the time. John is quite happy to say it was dark when the other three... And John would know about these texts is the probability. Like, John is the last one, the one later, probably yeah. written. The, whoever this author is, like, and tradition would say it's John, this follower of Jesus, uh, although he never names himself. He, he writes maybe 95 AD, and everything else has been mm -hmm. written maybe 20 years before. Mark was probably the first, yeah. yeah and so you've got a good period of time. When he says it was dark on the first day of the week. He's not unaware that other authors have said it was morning or it was sunrise. He's quite comfortable, it would seem, with a literary device that wants to place Mary alone and in the dark because somewhere that, that can reflect back on where she might be state of mind. Yeah, um, and so I think especially as, as modern followers of Jesus and and especially Western, modern, um, even there's, it seems like there's even more weight for American yeah. men, mental uh, approach to this kind of religious text is you run into the, the information or someone tells you, or you Google something and they're like, there's all these errors in the Bible that undermines your faith. Mm. And, um, and this would be one. Mm. This is an example of an error in the Bible. Yeah. But then you zoom, if you're able to zoom back and say, well, what's the Bible trying to accomplish mm. with a text like this? And why would the author communicate like this? Then um, if, if, the, if John's trying to accomplish something to tell about um, the emotional state of Mary, the, um, the, powerful interaction between Jesus and Mary where he calls her by name mm. and like he's trying to communicate this this interaction this human interaction between Jesus the risen savior and Mary this this person who should be on the outside but somehow um gets the opportunity to be the first one to sort of see him yes. as the resurrected king um that's what he's trying to get, do and if he was trying to accomplish that to tell the story very woodenly mm. and literally would be less true yeah, to the message. Absolutely. Yeah. And so is it an error? No, it was super, it would actually be an error for him to not communicate mm. it this way. Mm. It would be a less powerful form of communication mm. for him to do it that way. So which one's the error in the scriptures? And so you have, this is why it takes effort to interact with the scriptures. Anyway, um, and that, that, that so you, some of, yeah. You touched on that beautiful, the, the centerpiece of the story is the moment he says, Mary, and it's that, that's like the wake up moment. Um, everything falls into place in that moment, which is incredible. If, if you, any of you guys have, have watched The Chosen, they actually kind of set this moment up right at the beginning because there's an interaction between Jesus and Mary where she's gone by this different name of Lilith, which, which interestingly has a whole bunch of connection to, to Jewish sort of occultism or demonology and stuff. There's a, there's a whole thing there. 
Uh, and, and everyone knows her by this name. And then there's this moment where he says, Mary, and she's just like, you know, wait, how do you know my name? Totally. Um, and, and so that it's a beautiful setup to what will come in whenever they get to this part, season 10 or whatever it is. Yeah. So, um, Hopefully they drag it on a long time. It's good it's, stuff. It's a good, it is good stuff. Yeah. I feel like they, they took a risk and it worked out well. So we've spent a ton of time in this conversation so far already talking about the nitty gritty details mm. rather than the heartbeat of the text. Mm. Yeah. So at the, since, since we want to get, we, we've already communicated that the point is that there is a point behind this particular portrayal. What is that? Like what, what do you see in this passage um, that you think that John was trying to say, this is what I want you to pay attention to, mm. which you are, you preached about it obviously. So yeah. Um, uh, so, so I, I would say Mary's story is one of transformation. It's very much a transformation that, that seems to hinge on Jesus being present. Um, and so we read in Luke chapter eight, I think it is that she's had seven demons cast out on her for a 21st century reader that, that has a whole bunch of questions to it too, but just taking the text for what it says. She's been at a very low place. There's this moment of transformation that is, is largely characterized around Jesus' presence. That changes everything. Um, and now she's left in this place of Jesus is gone. And, 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 and probably a load of questions about what does that mean now? Uh, does the transformation end when Jesus is no longer present? Um, when, when he's not around, what happens if she ends up in that place again? Uh, so, so interestingly, I think not only does Jesus return, his, his risenness give her now this sense of, no, I am present with you, but he actually now will move her into something new. He's, the transformation is now no longer just about her, but about the message she'll share with everybody else, which is probably a little picture of, of where we need to be. Uh, and I can't, did we touch on this over Easter? Maybe we did, but... But this, I think we had this conversation about the the fascinating nature of you can be uh, transformed by Jesus and encounter with Jesus' love. And you may not have changed everything about your life. There may be a load of behavior patterns that are still a mess, but just the impact of, oh no, you are loved can make you compelling in sharing Jesus to the world around you. And you can sit in church week after week after week after week, but if there's not been an engagement with I am loved and I love in return, uh, then it doesn't really, it never has that compellingness to the world around you. What we see with Mary is she lingers because she loves Jesus. She has nowhere else to go. Uh, and in the midst of that, she experiences him. And in the midst of that, she experiences this transformation that will go on and be transforming mm. uh, in the world around her, uh, which is is really, it feels like the heartbeat of this, this idea of gospel, this transformation. Yeah, so... Um... One of the questions I was pondering as I was reflecting in your message in this passage was um, the thing that, what is it that makes Mary the person that gets the opportunity to be the first? It seems to be just lingering, right? It doesn't seem to be, it seems to be so subjective in the sense of she just stayed. She didn't yeah. go anywhere. Um, it could have been Peter, it could have been John, but they went home. That yeah, and it, and I think like some of that is what's going on. And so here's the question. Does our, does our love 
for the person of Jesus increase the potential for us to encounter Jesus? Yeah, I don't know. I, I It just seems so fitting to me. So this woman who had demons, she was, um, some would, uh, does it explicitly say she was a prostitute? It never does. That's no, the but there's thing. some so, hints. Well, but there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole bunch of church history stuff there that suggests she was caricatured as a prostitute because she was perceived as too important. Um, it's like, okay. we're going we're gonna to pull her down a little bit. We can't have everyone okay. talking about this woman and how, you know, she, like, she's got to have a, a story that makes her a little bit more morally suspect. Yeah. Because again, Eastern but Church, he, Eastern Eastern Church would refer to her as Isa Apostle, like equal with the apostles. Um there was a little bit of something going on. Suddenly in the about the ninth century, it's like, oh yeah, she was definitely this lady that had some questionable relationships and stuff. And uh, yeah. people would say she was the woman from John chapter eight, the woman caught in adultery. There's Pope Gregory the the ninth specifically said, No, Mary. Magdalene is the same as Mary of Bethany, the one who came and poured perfume on Jesus. There's definitely some, yes. but, but she definitely, there is something about her encounter with Jesus that she is deeply in love with Jesus as in a spiritual sense, in a sense of this person has changed my life. And, and Jesus uses that language, not about her, but about others. Uh, those that are forgiven little, love little. Those that are forgiven, that, that are forgiven much, love much. Yes, so, and so, that that does have that flavor, and so it does seem so fitting for Jesus to show up to her first, mm -hmm. in the sense that her longing for this story to not end mm. is sort of a catalyst for her to encounter the reality that it isn't the end. Yeah, yes, I, I think she she's still looking for him. Interestingly, for those of you that have ever read Narnia. Um, there is this whole story with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe oh, with Aslan, yeah. which is very, I mean, whether C.S. Lewis would say it was allegory, it's pretty close. And, and Aslan seems to be this picture of Jesus and the Stone Tables episode. I mean, he's really, it's something that's worth reading if you want to be captivated by the story. Uh, and and C.S. Lewis would say it's not allegory in the true sense, but it's what it might look like for God to redeem a different world. So if there was a world that existed like Narnia, this is what it might look like for him to redeem that world. Yes, um, totally. So this moment of death for Azalan, the two girls have followed him. They've made themselves present. They've lingered in that space through the cold of the night, through the misery, and, and then they encounter the moment of resurrection. Uh, would they have experienced that had they just gone home? No, they wouldn't. Same deal. So, so Same I always deal. feel like I'd like to say something like, I don't know that your love for Jesus makes possible or true that first encounter, but those repeated experiences, that does seem to be true. Like that that desire yeah. to, to experience him seems to be the place where he shows up. And specifically, it's it's the person of Jesus, not just his vision, mm. his strategy, his... Um, empire that he's building yeah. up. It's like, you know, some of the other characters that we're going to be hearing about in the weeks to come, some of them abandon ship because mm. the strategy's off course. It's no mm. longer compelling. Yeah, yeah. The, but for Mary, she's like, his body's there. And then when she, when they're like, why are you, you know, the angels are like, why are you afraid? And all this stuff. 
and she turns and she's like, she's even desperate just to find his body. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like it's so specifically him that mm. she's wanting to encounter mm. and be near and show respect mm. and honor and all of those things that she just can't even get herself to go beyond it. Whereas the guys, they're like, uh, some of the guys in the stories, they're, they're like, well, that's weird, or, or I don't know what they're thinking, but mm. it's more sometimes about the movement or about the power, and then even all the way up to the point where essentially that, they're like, are you gonna set up your kingdom now? Yeah, and you, yeah. I, it's hard for me to imagine Mary asking that question. No, She's like, so. who cares about the kingdom? You're back. And, and I wonder whether for <laughs> us, like, yeah, that's just beautiful. <laughs> I wonder whether for us, the dependence maybe isn't about gender anymore. In, in her time, she is powerless. Yes. In her time, she can create no narratives. Uh, the other guy, the guys, there's some ability to create their own narratives. They can go back to fishing and earn more money. They can go back to tax collecting and earn more money. Is there a loss? Definitely. But is there still a potential for a narrative that, that might feel better or new? There probably is something there. There's probably not quite the hopelessness that there is for Mary of uh, this was the one narrative that changed. This was the one encounter that changed something and, and there is nowhere else to go. Um, and, and I'm not sure the others quite believe that. I think that this, uh, I think they come to believe it later when they grasp just who Jesus is. And that's why most of them go off to deaths in different parts of the world because they say, no, I'm so into this story. There's nowhere else to go. Totally. But in this moment, eh, I think certainly we'll see with the guys on the road to Emmaus, the thing's fracturing. The the people are departing. The core group is breaking up. And uh, there's fear because they were... So if you're part of this, this band of rebellion against mm. both the Jewish system and the Roman system, mm. potentially, according to what, the, what a lot of people thought then, and Jesus is this revolutionary that's... I, that's um, gonna overthrow Rome mm -hmm. with some of the people's perspective that follow Jesus. Um, and then the concern of the religious leaders was, oh no, he's also undoing and mm -hmm. committing heresy and overthrowing our religious system. So there's these two fears of these. And so, oh, and then the head, the head guy dies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's going to happen to yeah, all the underlings yeah. Yeah. there. So there's some fear. There's mm -hmm. this anxiety about all these things. And Mary's just like, I just want to, I want to show honor and love and respect for the power is he changed my life. Yeah. And if Matthew is right, Matthew says that there's guards on the site of the, you know, where the, the, the tomb is, it's kind of ground zero. It's kind of, it there's a lot going on politically and everything. And Mary's still there. She, eh, it doesn't matter. This is where I'm going to be. Um, and that's the moment that Jesus turns up and, and that for her is truly transformative. Uh, and, and she's the one that gets to, to, gets to speak this first message. She's the one that he first says go to, which suggests he can probably send just about anybody. Um, I mean, if, if he can use someone as unlikely as Mary, and she is pretty unlikely for a few different reasons culturally, uh, he can probably use just about anyone in whatever way he wants, which is good news for us. Yes, um, it's huge. You know, and, and, and that, that, that may be the teaching point, the reminder is, mm -hmm. I, I think there's an implication if you work in a church that you, people believe that means that you love Jesus more than other people. And I think that's an ideal, but actually that's not what 
that, the, the, there's not a nece necessary reality to that. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it just can be you're gifted in a particular way. Sometimes, I don't think for us personally, but sometimes you can just make a bad career choice. And if you went to make money, it's probably a bad career choice. <laughs> but, but the goal should be, yes, man, I'm, I'm deeply in love with Jesus. But this isn't really about working in a church or not working in a church. The sentness of each of us is <clears throat> the sentness of each of us is uh, that we can go and, and we can share this thing just like Mary did, regardless of whether we're perceived to be the right people or best people for that. And, and that yeah. being compelled by his love for us is probably a great driver. Yeah. In, in fact, I think if you look at the entire scriptural account of God's interaction with human beings, um, it, it does seem as though God actually prefers to choose the down and out, the, the yeah. second born child, the mm -hmm. woman, the, the it, there seems to be this yeah. partially because what it does is it screams to that, to that down and out person inside of each one of us. Mm. That there, even in the most strong, confident, powerful person inside, there's this doubter potentially, unless you're, uh, you know, there's some studies about some, um, you know, mental conditions where you don't have some of those doubts. Wow. But where you, where you, yeah, um, but anyway, keep that for the Thomas week. There you go. Thomas but, is not one of those people. Yeah. So, like, I think for most of us, we have these doubts of like, am I living up to, what I should be, am I good enough at this? Like identity crisis mm. stuff. And when God chooses someone who's even, um, who has so many things going against them, their their um, socio political status or economic status, their their gender, their you name it, um, that may make them not qualified to participate in the kingdom of God, um, and He chooses to use them in a powerful way. It's like it's a message to the entire world that says I can use anyone. Yeah. And I love to see that. And, and that, that there's a challenge that I, I had a few friends over the last few years that suggested, you know, what would it look like for you to go and work for, um, a, a, what would it look like for you to go work for a black pastor? What would it look for you look like for you to go work for a female pastor? and actually put yourself in a place where you allow them to be the significant voice. Now, I don't know that that's always the right answer, um, mm -hmm. but, but it, was a, it was an interesting challenge being somewhat, now, now technically I'm an immigrant, but I don't feel like being from England, that actually is a, a negative at all in most people's eyes. Most of the time, it's like, oh, you, you have a nice accent. Like, you, you, we could listen to you talk more. Yeah. Um, you don't have to talk about anything specific. Just ramble away. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you're going to fit in great here. <laughs> welcome you like to rambling the, in English accents, Welcome to the just, Guys with Tea show. I've got to work on my accent, you man. Just fake an accent. <laughs> it does feel like there is a bunch of situational privilege for me personally. Um, so it's interesting when I see people at work and that, wow, you really are just, God is just using almost or working in spite of any obvious external gifting or sense of, yeah, almost a sense of reason. And Paul kind of pushes that a little bit, you know, it's the, 
God takes the weak things of the world and he uses it to confound the people that the think wise, they're really yeah. wise. And, and I kind of love that. Uh, yeah. Because I, I think for, for a while there, and I've even had this doubts even more recently in my life where sometimes I'm like, the fact that I had a, a fairly healthy childhood, the mm. fact that I was born to Christian parents, the fact that I'm a man, the fact that I'm a white man, the fact that um, some of these things may be, the, the pattern is so consistent in the scriptures mm. where God chooses to raise up some the, the down and out. Yeah. It, I've wondered like, well, maybe Jesus, um, I can't, there's like a ceiling to the the way your power mm. could work in my life because so. I have more of these privileges. Um, and, and again, that that maybe depends on what we think is God working. For some reason, almost every mega church pastor is white male, and I would say fairly good looking, um, and certainly articulate. Well, I'm just never going to be a no, no, you oh, can, mega church pastor. You'd be, you'd be right in line with everybody else. It, it, <laughs> no. but, but I wonder why that is. If if we just think numbers are that's got at work, then then no, I'm not sure. I, I think in some ways the numbers follow the pattern of the world. Um, but but some of the incredible ways that you see this good news message of Jesus spreading are definitely through people that don't fit in the normal ways. Yeah. And there's this transformation stories all around what they're doing. Yes. Uh, and and sometimes in churches that are just big for their own sake, maybe not to begin with, but at some point I just wonder whether the stories diminish or the stories. Yeah. And I'm not talking about those as yeah, God no, yeah, at no, work. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm talking about the scripture specifically, yeah. like the second born child, the, the, this, you know, the, Choosing to use the Gentile or choosing to whatever. Are you um, a second born child? I am actually. Oh, I'm a first born child. I knew there was a problem. Sheesh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, but I think what's actually going on there, because you can't make, it's not a universal tr truth. No. Because there are examples all throughout the scriptures where God uses others as well. But oh, Jesus. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's all sorts of examples. So it's not like a, a hard, fast rule. But what I think it's, I think what God's up to in some of these stories is he's actually trying to say, every one of us has the, that, that person inside mm. of us that, that we are, that we doubt. Mm. And I can use even you in your brokenness. Mm. And I think yeah. it's like a universal message to all of us that there's, that there's a, a poor, uh, unwise, broken part of all of us. Mm. And I've used the, outwardly poor, the yeah. outwardly broken, the outwardly, and therefore I can use even you. Mm. You know what I mean? I love that. I love it. So is there um, any final thoughts you have for Mary? Is there a takeaway that someone's listened to this midweek, mm. um, they're reflecting back in the message or whatever, um, what would you want to, them to know? Yeah, I, I, th I think there's that that moment where it says that she she just lingers at the grave. Um, and, and I think that if the grave is a picture for uh, stories that we feel have have become broken beyond fixing, have have mm. have dropped into darkness, maybe is to take John's language of light and dark. There's not really a solution. There's not really a fix. Always, Mary gives Jesus the opportunity to to show himself just by sticking around, almost. 
And that can be really hard in a church community when you get to a point mm. where you're like, oh, I've messed this up so much or somebody else has messed this up for me. Being willing to stay and linger uh, is tough. So, so I, I occasionally have conversations in counseling with people that will say something like, how long is this going to take? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It could be ages. It could be a long time. Sometimes just being willing to stick around and just say, Jesus, I'm still here regularly and often is the best thing that we can do as we wait for transformation. So I think for, for someone, if you, if you find yourself in a place where I've kind of given up hope on this, or this story feels like, again, dropped into darkness, um, just staying is sometimes the, the first thing. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, like, and the thing she's doing while she's staying, she's not like handing out tracts or no. she's not, um, she's weeping. Mm. Yeah. But she's Just, nearby. She yeah. has close proximity to the last moment she had a hope of being nearby mm. Jesus and she's waiting. And, yeah. and that's like this beautiful recipe and Jesus shows up. I love and it. And he says, Mary... The story isn't over. I love, I love it. So good. Good final word. Awesome. Well, uh, remember to go off. on iTunes and rate us with a high rating. That's right. If you wouldn't mind, it's helpful. It is. And uh, and this was Wednesday. I don't know if we're supposed to tell people that because we weren't around on Thursday. That's right. Yeah, this isn't live. So if you made it all the way to this point and we didn't uh-huh. answer a question that you wrote in while it. Yeah. previewed or whatever while it was but being published. But we're starting to suspect the live viewership is not the same as the post-live viewership, so. Yeah, Maybe totally. Yeah. We're, we're less we, of a live show, I don't know. The Here's the advantage of live. We we film it, and then when we're done, we're done. Yes, no edit. No edit. Just, yeah. So that's why we're still doing it I live. It. Uh, if a great. bunch of you start showing up for the live stream, then maybe we'll be live for you guys. Maybe so. But Otherwise, it's a workload. listening afterwards. That's great. Cool. We love it. See you, See you guys next week. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening. And we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.